Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In this episode, we're talking to Kelsey Josen, founder of In Control. In Control is a company on a mission to improve the lives of adults with disabilities in the United States through physical, nutritional, social, and emotional engagement at home. We're discussing how healthcare organizations can advance health equity by earning the trust of and engaging with their communities. Now, let's get into the first half of our discussion. What's up, Kelsey? How you doing, Pleasant? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good today. Thank you so much for joining the Heart of Equity podcast. I'm just so thrilled to jump into this conversation with you and learn more about you and your journey within control. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Let's jump right in. Talk about yourself. Who are you? What is your background? And and how did you get into the health sector? And more importantly, how did you start to build in control? Yeah, so um, I'm Kelsey. I am a gopher athlete. And um, really, while I was uh, at the University of Minnesota, I was kind of trying to figure out where I wanted what I wanted to do. And um, I I spent a lot of time recalling some experiences that my mom kind of threw me into when I was 18 years old. Unfortunately, it was kind of one of those situations where it's like, hey, I need support at work. And so you're the support. Go hop in. And uh, it was my first time ever really interacting with people with disabilities ever. And something that I feel like is I'm really passionate about is making people feel seen and loved and welcome all the time. And it was one of the first experiences where that feeling was reciprocated to me when I was working with individuals with disabilities. And I was like, wow, why would I not want to spend the rest of my life or dedicate my career to being in an environment where I felt so loved and so welcomed all the time? And so um, I've always been passionate about health and wellness. Um, that's what my degrees are in. And I just started asking questions like, what happens when adults with disabilities turn 21? Where did they go? What do they do? Um, Like I told you, I was trying to navigate what kind of career path I wanted to have. And as I continued to peel back the layers of, of that system and the services that were provided, what I found was there's a huge gap in services for people with disabilities once they graduate the education system. And um, specifically around wellness, if you look at all the statistics around there, like adults with disabilities are like three times more likely to have a lot of different health conditions. And when you break down those health conditions, you're like, some of these things could actually be prevented if they live a healthy lifestyle. And so I kind of dove into that. And and that problem, I just kind of became fixated on that. And I was like, well, what can I do? What can anybody do to try and meet this need? And so that's kind of what started in control was uh, I started volunteering with adults with disabilities and doing some wellness activities with them. And just seeing like, how receptive are they to it? How does it change their life? How does it improve their life? And um, over the pandemic, I was creating all this curriculum and sending it to group homes for free, just being like, hey, here is a bunch of activities you can do to exercise with them in the home, 
teach them how to eat healthy, do activities around social and emotional wellness, um, because that was that still is so important, but was especially important uh, during the pandemic. And so I was like, here's all of this. And then um, what happened was I actually lost my very first client. She passed away over the pandemic. And that kind of made me be like, okay, no more for free. No more. I'm just sending this out and hoping and praying that they do it. Now I need to add the accountability pieces to it because I need to make sure that they're exercised. I need to make sure that they're living a healthy lifestyle. And so um, that's how my program kind of evolved into what it is. Uh, we have coaches that go into our client's home and really say, hey, what does success look like for you with physical wellness or nutrition or social wellness? What does it look like? And then we work backwards. How can we help you reach that goal? I truly believe that adults with disabilities deserve to live a life of abundance. Um, I'm allowed to live a life of abundance. And so I decided at that point that I was going to devote my whole career to not only designing the services that I feel like could help them live a life of abundance, but also using my voice and my platform to advocate for them in the spaces that I go into to be like, okay, this might not serve. And so what can we do to get this system to serve in the way that we want it to serve? Love it. I love how In Control is using this holistic approach to include education and engagement and implementation and accountability. I love that you are building that accountability into that. So kudos to the amazing work that you do. I want to dive now into the power of community to advance this mission. Tell me more about how you're tapping into the community to help support you on this journey. I myself am a relationship-oriented person. That's something that's really important to me. And I feel like I have this unique ability to really build quality relationships with people. And so when I entered the entrepreneur world, what I found was a lot of times it's like, hey, you need to locate all of your competitors and then you need to see what they're doing and you need to make sure that you are set aside from them. You're pricing yourself based off them. And, and it just kind of sets you up to be like this with people that are doing same or similar things to you. And while I understand that, why that is there, um, it's just not how I'm oriented. And so I really feel like I have been blessed to be able to be in the disabled industry because what I have picked up on is that that's not how this industry is. When you go to events, or I'll say when I go to events and I go and out into the community, all it is is like networking with other providers and being like, I need your information. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, that's really cool. I need your information. I need your information. And a lot of times when, when we go to events, I leave with a, a big stack of business cards and things like that from other providers, because I think what's really great about the disabled industry is we recognize that I best serve my clients by expanding my partnerships and being like, okay, I know that my, my, my services are not going to meet the needs of every single person. And so I know that. So instead of having somebody on the phone crying to me, being like, I want your services, or I'm, I'm looking for this, Instead of me being like, I'm so sorry, I don't do that. I can be like, hey, I don't do that. But let me connect you to blank, blank, and blank, and blank. And I think that's where the power really lies. Um, when you use your community, you use the people that are serving the same industry as you, it, it makes you stronger. And, and I think it's, it's kind of like what I feel like is the secret sauce to what we do is that 
I put my pride aside and be and, and trying not to say like, hey, I'm going to meet everybody's need. Nobody else can do what I do. It's more so like I can meet these needs, but let me partner with all these other organizations so that we can get all of your needs met. Because at the end of the day, for me, I care about the people that we serve. I care about making sure that all of their needs are met, not just their wellness needs. And I do that best by putting myself to the side and partnering with other organizations and saying, how can we do this work together? Because we can best serve and we're stronger when we're all going in it together. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with black owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Soul Bowl. Soul Bowl is a restaurant that uses soul food to change the narrative of North Minneapolis by bringing people together to celebrate the North Minneapolis culture and community. For more information, please go to soulbowlmn.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. You mentioned this relationship that you're building, this authenticity and and centering the needs of the members that you serve. That is so, so important. Mm -hmm. And moving from this periodic transactional type of relationship that we do see, unfortunately, in other types of sectors and, and organizations and really moving to this transformative relationship that that's longstanding mm-hmm. how can you translate this what you're doing this authentic community engagement work how can this be translated in the healthcare sector I think authenticity is one of the most important things when you're working with underserved populations that oftentimes feel like they've been taken advantage of or they're vulnerable in, in people with disabilities case like they're considered a vulnerable population and You know, I think number one, I think it would be irresponsible for organizations to go into the community and say they want to build an authentic relationship if they haven't done the internal work that needs to be done at the organization. Like if you don't have the hands to hold and nurture the people that you're going to go serve, then what you're doing is you're you're going out there and you're saying, hey, we have all these programs for you and we're so excited to have you. But then you fumble the ball. And I think what that does, there's already a lack of trust when it comes to healthcare uh, providers in general. If you don't do the work internally first, you're going to end up fumbling the ball and then just continuing to show that lack of trust within the healthcare community. So I think that's number one. I think that's the number one thing that I that I try myself to do, but that other companies and businesses could do is make sure that when when you have a goal of going out to, into the community you need to make sure that that your business has a solid foundation when it comes to this first. Um, so that, like I said, you're not fumbling the ball there. Um, but not only that, I think it's so important to demonstrate your dedication to serving BIPOC communities and creating a safe space within the organization. And I think that comes from hiring people that look like us and and being able to start there and learning from their experiences and and like I said, doing that internal work from the people that you hire. And um, especially in the disabled industry, this is actually really hard because um, when you think when I think about my own entrepreneur experience, I am one of very few uh, Black women founder 
at serving people with disabilities. And I, sometimes I feel like I've checked all the boxes to like uh, make sure that I have a lot of adversity on this journey. Um, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. And so for me, I specifically feel like I have a duty to not only serve people with disabilities, but to serve people that look like me. And so when I do anything in my company, I'm always operating through equity and diversity because that's important to me. And I'll tell you, it is hard. It is so hard in this industry to be able to hire staff that look like you and staff that's beyond PCAs and direct support professionals. Staff that's actually creating curriculum that ha that has executive roles that are influencing how the structure of the business is and the programming that the business provides. It's very hard. And I have to go out and recruit. Like I can't just post a job on Indeed. I have to go out and recruit in order to be able to see what I want to see in terms of diversity in my program. And so it's a really hard journey. And being in this industry, what it's shown me is as I continue to do the work and put in the work to try to get BIPOC professionals to work for us, it makes complete sense why there is such a gap in services for BIPOC people that have disabilities. And you can see why there's a lack of trust with that community. And so when you look at, when you go into a marginalized community and then you dive into that and find the most marginalized within the marginalized community, that's where you find BIPOC people. And it does not shock me when I look and see who's doing all of the programming and who's always at the top of a lot of these organizations, it doesn't shock me why they're not being served. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the statistics. As you said, when you go within the marginalized population and you go even further to understand, in this case, people with disabilities, particularly within the Black population, we, we do see some, some stark trends. In the U.S., one in four Black adults is living with a disability. How does In Control support its Black patients in achieving wellness? I think one of the first things is actually just being able to understand our clients' reality. Me and my staff, we put in the work as much as we can to make sure that it's a safe space for BIPOC people with disabilities to be able to actually work on their wellness and what it looks like for them. I can guarantee that from in control. I can't promise that or protect you from the system that you need to go through in order to get to me. And so a lot of times I can find families over here that want services, that find value in our program, that are like, I can't wait to have this. This is exactly what we need. And then in control is over here. And I think there's a big piece that we sometimes ignore that's in the middle, and that's the system, the waiver system, which is what we bill under right now. And so some families, like we might have that initial meeting, and we might not hear from them because they got lost in this system. And they, they, didn't, they either didn't know how to navigate it, or they didn't have the right resources or people put in place to help them successfully navigate the system and, and meet the deadlines and turn the paperwork in and all of that. And uh, it just, it becomes something that is like, okay, we need to rewind a little bit and see and pause here where the problem is. Why are we not seeing anybody get from point A to point B? And it's because of this piece in between and how can we support them here? And really the main way that we support them in the middle is that relationship piece. Like I told you, I know that we don't have all the resources that we need right now in this moment to be able to sit down with our clients and say, let's fill out the paperwork. Let's make sure that you're on your deadlines. Let's do all of the things that a case manager or a support planner would do. But I do know people have intentionally made those relationships to be able to support them in this time. So instead of being like, hey, 
can't wait to see you when you get over here. And I know that this is going to bring a lot of heartache and it's going to bring a lot of headache, but I can't wait to meet you over here so we can give you services. I plug them in and I say, okay, here's people that can help you through this journey to get you set up and to make you feel like you're supported through this journey to be able to actually get services from us. So I think that that is kind of one of the biggest ways that we support Black families when it comes to the system. Another thing that I think is super important is to be able to navigate and find different ways to provide services. And sometimes that is outside of the system. And so uh, right now, all of my coaches, they are actually being trained to be certified lifestyle coaches through the CDC. And we are actually gearing up to start being able to deliver the diabetes prevention program. And so that is actually a different method of funding that we can actually have access to. And so when we looked at the diabetes prevention program, a lot of the things that are taught through that are similar to our curriculum. And so we're like, okay, if if we're confined to this waiver system right now, we know we're not serving how we need to. What can we do as in control to be able to access people in a different way? And so this is one of the ways. So actually by the end of August, all of our coaches will be trained um, lifestyle coaches and be able to deliver the diabetes prevention program and bill insurance that way. So it's just trying to navigate how we can serve people and just understanding like what's the reality for black people, right? Black adults in the United States are 60% more likely to actually be diagnosed with diabetes. And so we recognize this. We understand the population that we're trying to serve. So then we go backwards and we say, okay, what can we do to serve this population? How can we equip ourselves as a business to meet our clients where they are? Stay tuned for the second half of our discussion. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.